Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could explain this to someone else, but maybe there's a few things that I want explained back to me. I'll be sitting down with authors, thought leaders, visionaries. I'm your host, Josh Lipstone. This is Explain This Book to Me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Josh Lipstone, and this is Explain This Book to Me. Today is book two, episode three, and I am joined once again by the author of The Extra Two Minutes, David Carruthers. Welcome back to the podcast, David. How are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm starting to feel like I'm dealing with James Lipton from the uh, Screen Actors Guild or whatever that movie <laughs> show was. It was on uh, public television. Very nice. I'll have to go back and uh, check one of those out. I <laughs> well, wow. you're better served to check out the Will Ferrell version when he Will, okay. <laughs> recreated it. It's much more entertaining. Much Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. For you loyal readers, um, if you have not listened to episode one or two of this book, then like I said last time, hit pause, go download those episodes, come back and listen to episode three. And for those of you who are keeping score at home, we are recording this on Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. So let's just go ahead and just jump right into chapter four of the book. Sound good? Sounds good. I will give a spoiler alert here for those of you who uh, don't want to read the whole thing. He gets the girl in the end. (laughs) Very good. Very good. All right. So chapter four, prepare to make an unforgettable impression. So you begin this chapter by writing about one of your favorite things, asking a client, and it was, it's what do they remember about their first impression of you? <laughs> so when you ask your client about it and they laugh, you know that you've made the right impression. That's what you write about. I'm going to start off actually earlier than normal by asking you a question. Can you tell the loyal readers about the best first impression you ever made and then tell them about the worst first impression you ever made. Now, I know the second part of the question is almost impossible to imagine you making a bad first impression with all your <laughs> dapper suits. I'm just, listen, man, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think if anybody's ever told me that, like, you just don't hear back from them. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. That'll, that'll be tough. Yeah. So let, let's go with the easy one. Best first impression. Yeah. So I actually, I talk about this in another part of the book too, but one of the things that I got accustomed to doing coming out of retail was driving around the perimeter of a building before I go in. I don't know why I do it. There's really no reason for me to do it now, but it's just a habit because you would want to make sure that the dumpster area was clean and all of that in case your district manager happened to visit that day. You know, they look at the back of the house and then they already have their mind made up is what front of house is going to look like when they come in. So I still do that. Like literally to this day, I'll drive around the building before I I park for my appointment. And so I went to a company to meet with them for the first time. And I drove around the uh, perimeter and like three of their employees were sitting on the storage rack where they stored all of the propane cylinders smoking a cigarette. And I'm just like, this, you you gotta be kidding me. Like, I walked that. in, I walked in and the guy's like, what's going on, man? I said, I don't know. Should we have this meeting or not? I have a feeling this place is getting ready to be blown to the moon. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you got three guys smoking a cigarette on a rack full of propane on the side. You know, <laughs> tell anybody from insurance was coming to see him today. Yeah. 
No. So oh, yeah, it was, and, and we like obviously diffused that situation, but we we laughed about it and still laugh about it to this day. I still have the guy as a client. That's probably fifteen nice. years ago. Well, that's that's a good first impression. So, can you think back then if no one said anything about an impression that you made or something that happened? You were like, "Gosh, I wish I never did that," or "I learned something and I'll never do that one thing again." Like, is there anything that you did? You're like, "Oh wow, I should never, never do that again." You know what? I think it's probably a collection of times. Like, if I were to think about when I did, like, if when I didn't make a good first impression, obviously, you know, I'd love to think that everybody just comes in with open arms and wants to give me a big hug when they see me, but that's not the case. So I, um, I think that earlier in my career, not, not as much now, um, I, I would talk too quickly. I would, I would have things come out of my mouth before my brain fully processed the thought. And sometimes when those things came out, they didn't come out the way that I wanted them to. So I would say, you know, probably some of that. And, you know, basically yeah. what it did is it forced me to to stop and pause every time somebody asks me a question in a meeting. Now I sit back and mentally ask myself the question so that I can be forcing myself to take the time to answer it. So you know, that's probably the biggest thing because I had a smart mouth when I was a kid. So when I was younger, there's no telling what was going to happen. Yeah, I had that same problem too. I, I ended up having to write a lot of Bible verses. <laughs> I don't know if you ever had to do that, but that, um, was, yeah. that, was, that was a lot. And, and when they um, when they allowed me to pick the verse, it would always be Jesus wept, the same one that I went to for John 11.35. Yeah, for scripture memory. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So the first thing that you write about in the book is actually <clears> – <throat> the type of business card that you give out and you write about how salespeople have tried many different things with their business cards, different shapes, different sizes, outlandish titles, etc. But you settled on a metal business card from the company, mymetalbusinesscards.com. And I will tell you, I was extremely impressed with your business card. You sent me the welcome kit for being part of killing commercial and I have plans of keeping it for life. Now with that, each card does cost you $1.50 per card. And if you order a thousand, that's $1,500. And I'm fairly certain that when I order my own business cards, it's about three to $400 for a thousand. So let me ask you this about your business cards. Do you give these cards to everyone or do you have other ones that you give out to just anyone and you reserve the metal ones for, oh, you do. So you <laughs> Okay, so yeah, you so the what, metal ones for the right person. Yeah, so the metal ones are the money cards, right? That's for the mm -hmm. big appointment, first appointment. You want to make a great impression, whatever else. But this one, obviously nobody can see this but you. No. But this one is actually – I mean it's solid, man. It's a really, really thick. For me, to, I have to put a lot of pressure on that. Okay, that looks like ours, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, I think it's like either a double or triple thickness. So I, I wanted to still portray high quality. Mm-hmm. Just not at a buck fifty a card, right? right. So, um, I had these done up 
and that's what I carry. Like if I'm going to networking events or whatever else, typically those are the ones I hand out. And okay. actually, it's funny because it's, it, it's a uh, rite of passage in Florida Risk Partners that you have to get to a certain level of production before you qualify for the metal car. Not everybody gets that. I'm, really? I was the only one who had it. Kyle just now got his. So. Okay. Um, yeah, it makes it fun internally too, because they can have different levels. The other ones are not shabby at all. It's just, oh no, I can't pay a buck fifty. I just can't. <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, I'm glad that the loyal readers have an idea that you don't give it out to everyone because I didn't want them to to think that every networking event that they go to and they hand out fifty business cards. That uh, yeah, no. Okay, good. All right, so we got that out of the way. So now as part of making an unforgettable impression, you referenced the book Dress for Success, which was written by John T. Malloy. I think that's how you say his name, back in 1975. And this book, along with the movie Wall Street, influenced the business professional to the concept of the power suit and the power tie. But even though the power suit, power tie is no longer as prevalent as it once was back in the 80s and 90s, you still need to continue to dress to make an unforgettable impression. So you write about how you dress for the client, which many companies are actually doing today. They have the dress for your day type of mentality. So if you're meeting with a prospect in the financial sector and that person generally wears a suit, then you also need to wear a suit. And if you're meeting with a prospect in the construction sector and that person generally wears jeans and a polo, then you wear jeans and a polo. And you recommend that the that you visit the person, the salesperson visits the prospect's website to get a sense of their dress code so you can match it when you meet with them. So, and when you do dress in a suit and tie, you make sure you do it the right way. So this isn't in the book. But I also know that you do something special for your producers in your office and have custom made suits for them. Can you talk about that process and what is involved with that and uh, what what people can learn from that with the, the custom made suits for Fuller to Risk Partners? Yeah. So, you know, I like stuff, man. I like nice clothes and mm -hmm. I spend more money than I should on it. Probably a lot of the time, more money than most guys' wives do, you know, but um, early in my career, when I was really starting to click on all cylinders, every time I closed a middle market account, I went out and bought myself another custom suit. And the reason why I did that was because a, I had zero suits, <laughs> you know, I needed, <laughs> I needed to build that up. I mean, you can't show up in the old grocery store, short sleeve, white button down with the black tie, you know, every single day. It just doesn't Selling fly in our world. out of the back of your yeah. Camry. Yeah. You know, but, um, so, so that's what I did to reward myself. And I mean, I, I liked that. I thought it was a pretty cool thing. And, you know, it cost me a thousand bucks, maybe 1200 bucks, depending on how fancy I got. But I also had, that's less than 10% of what I made on it. So I'm like, if I'm going to blow something, let me blow this. And when I opened Florida Risk, I remembered that. And I thought, you know, this would be a cool way to incent people who are here producing. And so I basically have an ongoing in perpetuity, you know, contest for lack of a better term. But it's really a reward system that anytime a producer brings in an account that's 10000 or more in revenue, I, the agency will buy them a custom suit and three shirts and a tie or, you know, we don't have any female producers at this point, but, you know, we would do the same thing with 
you know, feminine business dress. We don't expect women to wear men's suits and ties yeah. to work here. But, yeah. um, you know, and then it, there's a ceremony involved, right? So when they qualify, then we have the tailor come in and do the measurements and everything at sales meetings so that everybody else can see oh. that this person's getting that and they have to sit back. And, you know, then the guy pulls out the fabric swatches and you pick your suit and your shirt colors and, all. you know, I don't want to go into all the gory details, but I mean, we've, we've made it a thing and it's been, uh, it's, it's been pretty cool. Kyle's gotten a couple nice, really nice suits out of the deal. Nice. Nice. Well, that's, yeah, something that uh, I hope to to be able to do one day for myself and then also the producers in our office. So very cool. Now, along with wearing the right clothing, you write about wearing the right shoes. So for you, what is your go-to shoe? How often do you polish them? And then are you a no sock or sock guy? <laughs> So shoes are kind of where we go back to what I just said about spending a lot of money. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, my go-to depends on what it is that I'm wearing for the day. And okay. So if I'm going to a place that says we wear jeans and Tommy Bahama shirts to work, then I'm probably going to wear my Louis Vuitton driving shoes, you know, that go mm -hmm. with that particular outfit. If I'm going to go meet with a CEO, CFO, of a you know technology company, I'm probably going to wear either a pair of Louis V's, Gucci, or um, Ferragamo that I have mm -hmm. because those are more modern, sleek, whatever else. If I'm going to meet with a banker or a CPA, I'm going you know very conservative, either wingtip or cap toe, lace up Oxford, black or brown, depending on suit color. So gotcha. I got plenty of options, Josh. The closet's yes, not lacking of uh, fine men's footwear. <laughs> That sounds like it. So sock or no sock? How do, what, what do you do? Dude, socks 100% of the time. All right, good. All right. We're, we, we can, we can stay friends. I've yeah. That's that. just, that's weird. That whole no, especially like the, I can understand people in penny loafers and, and mm -hmm. things, you know, that's, that's halfway normal. But when you see somebody wearing a suit with lace up shoes and no socks, like when, when did that start? I don't know. I do yeah, not. I, don't, I didn't, it. I must've missed that memo. Yes. I have, yeah. I have no appreciation for that at all. <laughs> So the next thing that you write about in the book goes back actually to the beginning of the book, which is the equipping for battle section. So you recommend that a person carries not just a pen, but a nice pen. Um, but at a minimum, you need to have a pen and never, ever ask a prospect or a client to borrow one. So we talked about in the prior episode, you use a John F. Kennedy Mont Blanc rollerball pen. Uh, and I believe you said you won it in the sales contest. Is that correct? I did. Okay. Very nice. Um, yeah, there's no way I would be, I, I spent all my money on shoes, man. I can't, I, you know. I looked it up and that's a very expensive. <laughs> yeah. Like, I hold on to it with two hands. I may or may not have a chain that goes from that pen to my belt when I hand it to a prospect. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Just like the banks, except I have it mounted to the side of my belt. That'd exactly. Awesome. All right. <laughs> But again, loyal readers, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy something like that. Just something that is nice that isn't, you know, a big pen that you picked up for 10 cents at Staples before you went out. Or even worse, like the restaurant pen from where you ate dinner last night and then you pocketed yes. it. That mm -hmm. would be terrible. Yes, that's even worse. Now, the final two ways to make an unforgettable impression kind of go hand in hand, which is where you park your vehicle when meeting with the prospect at their business and driving around the building. So we already kind of talked about this, but I had, I had always 
I not thought of the first one, the, you know, driving around um, the building. Wait, we're going to go back. All right. We're going to pause and we're going to go back and redo it. So hold on. So the final two ways to make an unforgettable impression go hand in hand, which is where you park your vehicle when meeting with the prospect at their business and driving around the building. So I had thought about driving around the building before, but I never thought about parking where I park. So when you do, uh, so when you go to a prospect's business, you make sure that you do not park up front because you want to make sure that that is reserved for their clients. Um, and this comes from your time spent in the grocery business where you hated it when a vendor would park too close to the store and take away a parking spot from a paying customer. It also made for a conversation with the person you're meeting with to comment on how far you had to walk, which allowed them, which allowed you to tell them reason that you did it. So of course, before you actually park, you turn around the building and see how everything looks. And you already talked about this um, in the book, so or early in the podcast, so I won't go through and, and actually read it. But um, other than seeing those three guys sitting there smoking, sitting on top of some propane tanks, um, what are some also some memorable meetings that you had that you've had with prospects or clients, something that will really knock off, knock their socks off. Well, I mean, I've seen everything driving around behind buildings, Josh, and some of those things you don't bring up when you're walking in to meet with the prospect the first time. So Very smart. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of coworkers like to take their smoke breaks at the same time. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Interesting. But um, yeah, you know, I, I haven't really, I don't, I don't really know that there's been anything else that was as magnificent as the people smoking the cigarettes on the propane tanks. But I usually end up with some kind of a risk management tip or um, something like that. I, I almost feel like I have to find something because it's a good way to open up the conversation at that point. Mm -hmm. You don't just say, Hey, I just drove around your building and well, didn't find anything. You, you look like an idiot. Yeah. But um, you know, I um, typically I'll look for like if the dumpster has the padlock on it, right? Because people okay. who haven't worked in the grocery business don't realize that homeless people go into dumpsters that are unlocked. And sometimes if you don't check said dumpster before you push the button to compact, there's a, there's somebody in it. So Wow. Um, you know, crazy things like that. But if you think about it as an insurance person, right, that's attractive nuisance. It's a general yep. liability issue for sure. If you have the ability to lock and you don't, it probably goes from negligence to gross negligence. Um, but, you know, stuff like that, just mention a lot mm -hmm. of places have storage containers behind or, you know, there's ingress, egress issues, or sometimes there may be a visibility issue with some plants that are grow. I mean, I could look, I could go for days. Yeah. I'm going to find something, okay. but it, it's a great way to open up conversation to say, Hey, just wanted to let you know, I was driving around the building and you may want to have somebody go out, lock your dumpster up. I noticed that it was missing the padlock when I went by and be like, Holy crap. Who's this guy? You know, my agent hasn't ever come and told me that. I have never thought about that, but I will be adding that um, to ours. Yeah, yeah it never, never even crossed my mind. So in the extra two minutes section for this chapter, you write about how you leave something memorable for the prospect. And so what you recommend is to find an article published in a newspaper or magazine or even an article online, frame it for them 
or you can create an image or a meme using Canva, which is also a free tool that the loyal readers can use um, to give to the prospect. So is this part, so this is part of the first meeting, the first time that you meet with them. If I'm going in, um, this is, you're t we're talking about a meeting now. We're not talking right. about David's doing a marketing drop. Like no, I have a set is. meeting with this yeah. person. So yeah, that's, that's when, when we're going to take them something like that. And I'll tell you, I, um, I spend a little bit more money to do this, but the really cool thing to do is if you can go into Canva and create something neat, like the one that I use as the example in the book, yep, um, is to use that the company Fracture, who oh. prints it directly to the glass. Mm -hmm. Like it's, dude, come on, yeah. it's like the extra two minutes to the third power. Yes, if you yeah. when you do that, but I mean, it's going to cost you a little bit of coin. But you know what, man? I've heard of all kinds of really cool ways that people make entry like that, right? It's not – I'm not the only one by any stretch. You know, I know people who have sent like uh, – they they realize the decision maker is a runner, right? And so mm -hmm. they send one running shoe, but in order to get the other one to match the pair, they have to be willing to meet with them and they show up with the other one for the first meeting or they'll do like one of those remote control helicopters where they'll send you the helicopter, but in order to get the remote, they have to meet with you, you know, crazy things like that. So it's wow. not like, you know, I'm the only one doing this stuff, but mm -hmm. I, I want to, my whole idea is, you know, again, I usually have multiple angles that I'm working when I do something. So the first one is to make them feel special and make him realize that somebody took time out of their day to do this. But I also put compliments of Florida Risk Partners and my logo at the bottom of it. So if it goes in the lobby, my company name is there. If it goes in their office, then my competition, if I don't get the account, has to sit there and see it's my picture hanging on the wall, not there. So, I mean, there's there's some other methodology behind that. I like that. I like that. I didn't even think about adding the logo to it, but definitely, definitely something to uh think about in the, in the future. And even for, you know, gifts for current clients, that's something. Um, I think the coolest gift I had ever heard, uh, I believe it was at Elevate, maybe it was 2017 or 2018. And someone was able to get the wood from the Chicago Cubs dugout. And he, when they were redoing it and he turned it into a, um, uh, a Bluetooth speaker. Um, he was able to, I mean, he had like the Bluetooth stuff, but the box or the, I guess the shell for the speaker was wood, um, mm -hmm. from the Chicago Cubs. And the guy gave it out to his clients and he, he deals with multi, multi, you know, fortune 500 companies. And he had the CEOs who didn't get one calling him. And he's like, I'm sorry, we, we don't have any more. And, uh, that was probably the coolest gift that I had ever heard. I want to tell you what, man, we did something really cool. Um, not this past year, but the year before I rented out the Florida aquarium for our massive holiday bash. And so we had, you know, clients, prospects, insurance company, people, vendors, anybody who has any stake in my company, we had them to the party. We had, had a couple hundred people there, Wow, had a nice, you know, gave them a nice, you know, prime rib dinner. They got the whole aquarium was shut down. So they had ability to walk around and see all of that stuff. But everything we do is blue and gold. 
So we had to walk the blue carpet. So we had one of those, like when you see people walk in the red carpet and they have the, the uh, printout behind with all the different sponsors and stuff. We had the Florida Risk Partners backdrop with the blue sequin carpet. And as people came up, first I had them sign a, a photo release because if I'm taking their picture, I want to be able to use it for my own good. And we really did. But second, um, we had them, you know, they posed as if they were walking down the red carpet to go to the freaking Oscars or whatever. So we took everybody's picture. And when they signed the photo release, we asked for their physical address so that we got that, too. And they had no idea what was going to happen. But we got all of those pictures. I, I pushed my guy to have them edited into me the next day. And then I went in using another product that we use, send out cards. Mm -hmm. And I sent everybody who attended the Christmas party on Saturday a custom card with their photo in front of the backdrop in their wow. formal clothes and everything with a note, you know, from the inside saying, hey, thanks for, you know, everything you do for us, blah, 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 blah. The party was was the one thing, right? Everybody should do something. While it may have been a bit over the top, it, it was something. But extra two minutes is... By Wednesday, they had a freaking custom card with a picture taken wow. the weekend before in their hand from us. And so that's the way I think people need to be challenged to think. When you're willing to stop, say, what's the one thing I could do to take this to the next level? And most of the time, you're going to find something that you could do to tweak just a little bit. And that's the unforgettable experience you want to capture. Wow. Well, I love that. That is a great, great idea. Goes beyond the uh, the headshots that uh, sometimes are done. That's uh, that's truly amazing. Well, very good. Well, that ends chapter four and leads us right into chapter five, which is call on your ideal prospect. And so you begin the chapter by writing about how the salesperson is now ready to actually contact the prospect. So they've done all the hard work up to this point to find them. Now it's time to do the dreaded cold call, and you remind the loyal reader that most decision makers are approached on a daily basis, not just by your direct competitors, but by people outside your industry. So that is something that I believe most salespeople often overlook, and it's not just other people trying to discuss insurance with them, but multiple vendors. You write about how your agency, Florida Risk Partners, does not use generic marketing slicks, but instead use custom ones when you do your marketing drop. So here's what I want you to ask you about this, and it goes, it's multiple questions. So first, do you only do cold calls by visiting the prospect, or do you actually call them on the phone? And now with COVID, that may have changed. Um, second, what day of the week and what time of the day do you do them? And then third, do you ever bring them some sort of food item or gift or something like that when you're doing a marketing drop? So I guess let's go with the first one. Um, is prior to COVID, or I guess now with COVID, is it just cold calls by stopping at the business or do you actually call them on the phone? Both. Both. I mean, you know, we have when we're trying to get in front of a prospect, we're going to do everything from an in-person marketing drop to phone call to try and get an appointment without having to do the marketing drop to direct mailing that person to email campaigns to all of that stuff. So, I mean, part of the reason you do that is so that if something like COVID does come along and you have to you know, pull one 
one weapon out, you know, pull one club out of the bag. Right. Right. You can still finish the round relatively unscathed. Right. Especially if you hit a seven iron, 170 yards. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, it was 181, but <laughs> yeah. So that's the whole thing, man, is you have to look at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to just pivot, right? I mean, we pulled right. that the in-person piece out, but we've not been touched really from a new business production standpoint. We've just had to do it a different way. Okay. Now for the in-person um, drop-in, uh, what day of the week do you do it and what time of the day? Is that something that you guys consider or is it just go whenever you can? Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recruiting, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. Yeah, no, my, um, I'll tell you exactly what we do at Florida Risk. My guys okay. have a requirement, um, and it's a set schedule. Mondays, we reserve for team meeting all okay. day. Um, Fridays is for planning the following week um, in the office and wrapping up anything you have left for this week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is when we do drops. So typically, uh, a, a normal day would be they get to the office at eight and from eight to 10, they're handling email and phone calls, um, prepping, following up, whatever needs to happen. And then from 10 to 12, they're out doing drops from 12 to one. It's lunchtime from one to three, it's drops again. Mm-hmm. And then from three to five, they're back in the office to do email and follow up again. So our goal is to hit eight to 10 businesses each day, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, so that we're talking to anywhere between 25 and 30 businesses a week per producer. Oh, wow. That's good. No wonder you guys are successful. Well, I mean, it sounds like a lot, man, but you guys have to, you know, you have to realize something. These people that I bring in are freaking hardcore. Like this is, this is what they do, man. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like me. I don't, my, I hate opening. I hate having to go in and open. I love to close and and I will go against the best of them at the closing table, but I can't stand the opening piece. The people I bring on love it. 
Like Kyle was selling office supplies for a national office supply company, and he was supposed to call on 40 to 50 businesses a day. Like literally going to office parks like the one that we're located in here and just going mm -hmm. door to door to door to door. Wow. And he'd hit eight to ten in an hour, depending how long he was in there. But me telling them I want them to get eight eight to ten marketing drops in a day, these guys feel like they're on vacation compared to where they came from. That so it's a matter of perspective at that point for for us who, you know, I know that you're not really out beating doors, especially with COVID no. right now, but you know, even when you are that's a lot, right? Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd rather go talk to three channel partners that all have 30 other people they can refer in than try and go out and open something up. But I'm at that stage of my career at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So the third question was about what do you bring? You, obviously, you have the folder, which we talked about in the last episode. Is there anything else that you give? Do you have any food items or anything like that? Or is that like old? no, no longer works type of thing. No, I mean, it just depends on what we have going on, um, in the types of accounts that we're going after. So I am always a huge proponent of leaving something, you know, if you can, something that's not like insurance related. Gotcha. So we, we do, um, Tervis is a company that's local to us. We do Tervis tumblers with lids and we fill them with blue and gold gummy bears um, that we leave behind. So they have the candy and then they have a really nice, mm -hmm. you know, probably 15, $20 tumbler. After that, um, I ran a campaign one time before this is, this is back when I was actually calling, I didn't have producers at Florida risk yet. Um, and funny enough, Kyle was working at the company he worked at at the time, and we did these drops together, but he didn't work with me. This is when I decided I wanted to hire him at some point yeah. down the road. But we, I, I did a campaign called Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. Your workers' comp rates are going up. Mm -hmm. And so I had um, blue and gold Florida Risk ceramic coffee mugs done, with, and we I filled those with chocolate-covered espresso beans. Um, oh, nice. And yeah, and funny enough, those two items are also things that go into our new client welcome kit when we onboard them now. So I use it for multiple things. Oh, that's smart. Being able to repurpose them. Um, something completely off topic from what's in the book. Um, we were on a call yesterday and it, uh, talking about one of the YouTube ads that you had done uh, with the BMW commercial. And you had mentioned about how Kyle... Uh, was working in an office supply place. Um, so my question is, you had the reason you chose for your ad to target BMW uh, owners for personal lines business was because they generally are business owners. So for you actually, let me let me correct you there. Okay. Oh, I'm. A I wish I could tell you that I was that smart and I had <laughs> thought that much. The reason that I chose BMW owners is because me. Raphael and Jason all drive BMWs. So we had cars for the commercial. <laughs> That's why we picked it. What we learned through okay. that process was that, holy cow, there's really an opportunity for commercial business here because a lot of the people that we, that's one of the questions that I naturally ask is, you know, um, what do you do for a living? Tell yeah. me about that. Blah, blah, blah. Just not yeah. because I have to, it's because I I'm interested in knowing. And then yeah. we would, we would go down that road at that point and start talking about commercial. And we may or may not come back to the personal lines at all yeah. by the end of the conversation. Exactly. Now, because of that, 
have you thought about turning your focus or adding to the type of people that you are looking to hire as producers from what you've typically done to salespeople at a BMW dealership or another like Mercedes or Porsche dealership? In terms of bringing somebody like that in? Right. So here's something that I've learned, um, and I've really studied hiring producers a lot, and I've been pretty creative on my own in terms of some of the things that I've done. What I'm going to tell you is, in in my experience, doing what I do at Florida Risk with the risk management approach and going out, those people would fail miserably. And, oh, and, the, and, and I'm going to explain to you why. They're not cold calling. They're used to customers coming to them. Now, they a lot of them do some really good things like keep their client lists. They may have a CRM. They constantly send them birthday cards and do all of the things they need to do. So from a sales nurturing standpoint, from a nurturing after the deal's done kind of thing, they're really good. I could see somebody like that being a very good inside personal lines salesperson for you know high net worth or otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I could see them doing if you had somebody with that skill set do really, really well. I think it would be tough if they're that good to compete with what they're getting selling cars. But you know, I think that's um that's something that I've noticed because the the one producer that I brought on that hasn't made it was number one, somebody that I violated my own system to bring on. and but number two, was not somebody who I mean they they had a sales manager and territory manager title, but it's calling on a list of people who are already buying from you looking for incremental sales or it was in inside sales where the calls were always coming in and they just they just had to be have a good personality and be able to to sell it. So I, I stray away from anybody who's not having to go out and physically beat on doors. Okay. For that reason. That makes sense. All right. Good to know. So the next thing that you write about in the book is explaining what a marketing drop is. And we've kind of discussed it a little bit. So for your agency, it's a cold call visit to the prospect and you provide the prospect with relevant information that would be of value to them. And you write that you generally have 10 seconds for them to decide if they're actually going to give you a minute which makes me think about the chapter we discussed and how important it is, or the last chapter, and how important it is to make a good first impression to get that minute with the prospect. So you write that the goal is to get an introduction and a business card from the prospect. Now, I do have several questions about this because honestly, this terrifies me. Cold calling is <laughs> terrifying to me because I've never, in the 12 years, Actually, my 12-year anniversary was like three days ago here in the office. I have sat in this chair the entire 12 years and never had to go out and look for business, not because business is pouring in, but just because we've never done that. So, Well, we're, we're going to learn you as they exactly. say in the South, man. You're yes. going to get your chops here pretty quick. Exactly. And that's why I am part of Killing Commercials, so I can learn how to do that. Um, So can you tell the loyal readers how to get past the gatekeeper to get to the decision maker? Uh, What type of verbiage do you use to make sure you get the decision maker? You aren't passed off to someone with no decision making authority. What do you do if the prospect refuses to meet with you? Uh, I I have a lot of questions. So let's get back to the first one. So that is 
how to get past the gatekeeper to get to the decision maker. What are some things that you can tell the loyal readers? So here's here's our stance on that. Um, I don't care if I get past the gatekeeper or not. Our our real goal when we get there, I mean, we you know the optimal goal is to get that introduction, shake hands, swap business cards, leave some information. Let's be real. That's probably going to be even harder to get done after COVID than what it was before because people are going to freak about other people coming into their business because now we're all conditioned to not interact with people, you know? So, um, our, you know, using that methodology that our, our real goal is to, all I ask them to do, all I care about is, did you validate who the person is and did you get their email address? Right. That's all we need them to do because if they can do that, we can get that into our CRM and enroll them in automations that will, help us nurture that relationship to where maybe the next time we go back, we can get the introduction or whatever else. So I, it's so funny. This won't air before my post goes up, but I literally did a video and blog post on this this morning for, for killing commercial. And, you know, I, I, I was, I, it was five tools. Every, every producer needs to have, you know, when they're out and thing. And, um, one of them, one of them was I uh, was talking about mailtester.com. Okay, mailtester.com is a website that you can go to, type in any email address, and it will ping that server and tell you yes or no, it's a valid email address. Mm. So quit screwing around trying to get past the uh, the gatekeeper. Play to the gatekeeper's ego, right? That's the whole thing. Man, you're a tough one. I'm not going to be able to get past you. Listen, this is some really important information. And I know you would want it to get to whoever is supposed to have it. So would it be okay if you just gave me your email address and I mail it to you and then you can look at it and forward it on it, you know, at least filter it so that you can do what you're so good at doing. I don't care. I'm never, number one, I'm never going to send that person the email. I'm going to know the nomenclature, the email, and I'm going to go figure out the decision maker's email on mailtester.com and I'm going to send it to them. So, you you know, I think people so many times we, we freak out and we overcomplicate things, right? And gatekeepers are scary and nasty. I actually love taking somebody who I know just wants to rip my head off and turning them into a fan. Like, Mm -hmm. Whatever humor can happen, whatever little thing I can do for them, you know, that's a that's a bonus for me. That I, that's something that I really like to see. Okay, well, good. Well, that takes care of the second question that I had. Um, the next one was, what do you do if the prospect refuses to meet with you, or if they aren't there to meet with you? Do you try to set up an appointment, or do you come back? Same as above what we just talked about. We'll just get, we'll, we'll validate who that person is and their email address. Um, You know, I talk about some other things that I do um, in the book later about if I didn't meet that person or see that person that day or whatever. But uh, for all practical purposes, our real goal is just to get the name and the email and we'll be able to follow up with them. And maybe, you know, maybe they're just not able to meet, you know, that's not that they hate insurance people. It just might not have been a good time. So call them. And when they're expecting you, it's a different experience for both of you. So in something that I've read um, multiple times, there's, and I don't know the exact thing, I call it the 15-minute theory, um, which is you call or you stop by and you ask if the person has 15 minutes to meet or you try to schedule the appointment for 15 minutes on either the 15 or the 45 of the hour. Is that anything 
that you've done or is that just kind of a you know a sales uh, gimmick that really isn't worth trying out even if we get to the decision maker we do not try and schedule an appointment when we're doing a marketing drop unless that person says look we i would love to meet with you next week mm-hmm. between 12:30 and 1:30 can you please be back and by the way here's my coffee order and the gatekeeper up front like it just you know they're vomiting all yeah. this ridiculous information that's never going to happen in the real yeah. world so you're not doing that you're going in you're trying to make sure they know who you are you're introducing yourself validating information I always, you know, number one, you have to make sure that you respect. And I, I know I talk about this in the book, but you got to make sure they understand you respect and appreciate that you have interrupted their day. So it, it doesn't matter if it's on the phone or if you're talking to them in person, you need to realize that and just say, hey, look, I really appreciate you taking a second to see me. I know you weren't expecting me. I promise to be brief. That's it. If you can say that, they're going to usually give you a minute, couple minutes, whatever. Then you better have your junk dialed in, right? You yes. better that's you know that little piece I can give you. The rest is up to you. You got to figure that out. But then the most important thing is to close the manners loop. Make sure you thank them for their time at the end of the conversation, and then also say, look, typically I follow up with people that I've presented this information to in seven days or so. I I don't need to come back by. Is it okay if I call or email you? Sure. Why not? Whatever. Or no, I don't mind meeting with you. I just don't have time today. I mean, you don't know where that's going to go, but they're going to be hard pressed to tell you no for a simple follow up. You know, now if you're going to stalk them and call them with robo dialers and, you know, everything else, then that's a whole different animal. So that's not something you guys utilize in at Florida Risk? No, not at all. All right. (laughs) All right. Didn't think so, but just wanted to clarify that for the loyal readers. So, Now, we actually need to jump back in time a little bit regarding the next thing that you write about, which is how you how do you prepare for the marketing drop? So you recommend finding something relevant and valuable to their industry. And this is something that I personally struggle with. And this may not even uh, be something that's related to our industry that you're going to provide to the person. But your agency provides benchmarking reports about their the industry that your prospect is in. And since you focus on service contractors, um, one of the many things you guys focus on, there's information available through third-party companies that provide that information to you. So the benchmark reports that you provide are based on SIC codes. And for those of you outside of the insurance industry, that is the way that insurance classifies or insurance companies classify different types of businesses. Um, so now let's jump back to the present when you're actually face to face with the prospect. And I want to read from the book about how the conversation goes when you call in a large plumbing contractor, which for those of you following along in the book, it's on page 47. So you say, sir, I appreciate you taking a quick moment to come out and let me shake your hand to introduce you myself to you. I know you're busy. The fact is it's tough to find qualified candidates to hire as plumbers. Um, has that not been uh, uh, all right we'll restart sir i appreciate you taking a moment to come out and let me shake your hand to introduce myself to you i know you are busy the fact it's tough to find qualified candidates to hire as plumbers and has that not been made any easier for you i wanted to introduce myself and share the information that my firm has put together for you we don't need to discuss it now i wanted to drop it off with you in case it can help in your hiring our longtime clients have 
been appreciative of us sharing this report with them. Again, I appreciate you taking a moment to allow me to introduce myself. Here's my card. Thank you for giving me your card. I assure you I won't hound you. I do want to get your permission to contact you in a week or two. I would like to see if you had had a chance to review the information I presented. Would that be okay? So first of all, it's impressive that you have already talked about this and it's you're following along the book. Dude, I was just sitting here thinking, Josh, I've said this to thousands of people over the course of my career. I am nothing if not consistent. Like yeah. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but the stuff I do and that I execute, I am going to literally do it the same way every single time. And I mean, I'm sitting here right now thinking, here we go. Here's another cable interest survey, you know, <laughs> moment on Lipstone's podcast because it's yeah. the same thing, right? You're going right. back 30, almost 30 years in my life in the first one. And I had a sales process that is so scarily similar to what I'm doing now. It's just unfathomable. But I mean, you're sitting here saying this. It's literally what I just said, not even right. two minutes ago. It's, exactly. I mean, not, not verbatim. But pretty much everything lined up exactly with it. And I mean, if anybody listening to this doesn't realize what just happened, that just tells you you heard someone who has conviction for a process and a way of doing things that believes it so wholeheartedly that it's ingrained in everything they do. And I could go to the mall five hours from now. And if somebody asks me that question, I'm going to answer it the exact same way. Yeah, it's 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 the process. It's sticking to it because it works and not trying something different every single time to see. Yeah. So that's just, that's amazing. So there is a lot to unpack here. And so here are the questions that I have for you. So first you insert into conversation, the issue of hiring plumbers, and that is what is in the folder you're about to give to them. So does this mean that after you thank them, your first question or statement needs to tie into the relevant information you're providing. So meaning when you, the salesperson is talking to the prospect, their first question to that person has to tie into whatever relevant information that they have already prepared. Yeah. So typically our angle here is, is pretty much how you read it. We, we know that plumbers and trade contractors, anything trade related is in very short supply right now with high demand. So we typically will um, go in, we'll thank them for their time. We know they're busy, you know, pretty sure you're having the same problems my clients and other friends are having with hiring. Just want to stop by, introduce myself and leave you this report, talk to them about what it is, you know, and it's, it's salary benchmarking that mm -hmm. talks about what they are, what the plumber's getting paid in the Tampa Bay area, the state of Florida, and then nationally. And I do that because I want them to see if what they're offering people is what the market's dictating, or if they're being cheapskates, or maybe they're paying too much, which I don't know that that's the case right now. It's almost impossible to pay too much because nobody can hire enough. But, um, right. Yeah, I mean, we're just looking for a problem that the industry is facing, and we want to give them a solution to that problem. That problem may or may not have a direct relationship with insurance, but we want to show them that we have the ability to help them on a business level, not just an insurance level. We, we, okay. We're global in our thought process. So again, going beyond insurance, which is why you're not Florida insurance partners, you are Florida risk partners. Yep. Um, so second, and this becomes very much in the weeds, uh, but do you have your card in your hand or do you have to reach into your pocket or portfolio when you go to give it to them? 
You know, it's interesting because um, a lot of people don't know this about me. What would you guess my minor was in college, Josh? Your minor in college, theater. It was not. It was Japan. <laughs> it was Japanese. Really? Yes. And so for those of you that are Tommy Boy fans, you'll have an appreciation of this. When I started college, it was eight years before I finished college. And so when I started college, the economy was still strong in Japan and we needed to understand Japanese as a language and the um, culture and everything that went into that. And by the time I finally finished college, everything had moved to China and it was completely irrelevant. So <laughs> What it did tell me, though, was a lot about the Japanese culture and flat style management. It's, it's interesting because if you look at how I operate, think in a lot of things, it actually does reflect things that I learned, you know, about Japanese culture, business culture, all of those things, um, you know. And so one of the things that I can tell you is if you've ever done business overseas or with somebody from you know, Asian countries that come over here to do business, presenting the business card is a thing, man. Like you better have your game tight on presenting the business card and you hold it with two hands and you hand it out and you bow to them as you hand it. Now I'm not doing that when I go in on a marketing drop, but my iteration of it is you better have your flipping card out. What if that person's standing there talking to the gatekeeper and you don't have time to fumble? Or what happens if I drop 20 metal business cards all over the lobby of a quiet business and now it sounds like wind chimes in, in, in the foyer, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I always have it out, always. And part of the reason, too, is because when you get the metal cards, they have a plastic sleeve around them. Uh, so you have to slide that out of the plastic sleeve to actually give them the card. So I don't okay. ever want to accidentally present them one that's still in the wrapper. Okay, that makes sense. So the third question, and this is getting ahead of ourselves because you haven't written about it at this point in the book. It's in the next section, but it's about asking for permission to contact them. So I know you're asking if you can call them to discuss the information you provided, but I know you're going to enter them into your CRM, which means they're going to receive emails from you. Do you need to ask permission to do this? Or do you think that they'll assume that you're going to send them an email? Because I don't want to seem like I'm not holding true to my word, because if it's as soon as I get back to the office, they're going to get an email from me. Yeah, no, I'll, t I'll tell them that uh, up front that I'm going to email. I don't ask. I tell them if they want to object, they will. You know, okay. otherwise, I'm under the assumption that when I tell you that I'm going to send you an email, if you don't say, no, I don't want you to, it's okay for me to send you the email. Okay. Right. And so we, when we enter it into HubSpot, there's a radial button for them to click that says, have you verified that it's okay to send email? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yes or no. And yeah. If they tell if they don't say no, the answer is yes. Okay. That, then, then we enroll them in. Okay. Good to know. So now, once you finish the elevator pitch or speech, I'm not sure exactly what we want to call it, um, but you open up the folder that you've prepared for them. So the reason you do this is because if you handed them a closed folder, 75 percent of the time or more, they won't open it. So it actually sounds about as effective as Sex Panther cologne, which is it is deeper than time. It works every time. It, it does. It stings the nostrils. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so what you actually put in the folder is a letter 
letter about your agency, the benchmarking report, or something that is relevant to the prospect. Um, now, the report that you provide has your agency logo on it, the prospect's logo on it, and it kind of intertwines your two brands together. Then when the producer gets back to the office, which we've already mentioned, um, you have them enter the information into the CRM, uh, which for you is HubSpot, and it does the automation. So that is the process of the marketing drop in a nutshell. You know, Josh, it's made with real bits of Panther. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the that's pretty much the deal. Uh, that, right. That's an effective day of marketing drops. That's why they go back from three to five is to spend that time making mm -hmm. sure it gets entered into the CRM. Do your guys work before or after or are they – because I, I have a, a friend uh, in North Carolina and in his agency, his principal says, you work eight to five, you don't come in earlier, you don't stay later. So do your guys work before or after yeah, that? I mean, okay. they, you have to, man. If you're okay. going to go to breakfast with a client or you're going to yeah. go to a networking group you may be a part of or take a client to a concert or a ball game or whatever else. I mean, look, they're not out killing it at eight, nine o'clock at night every night we're pretty flexible. Like we don't monitor that kind of stuff. Okay. As long as their activity matches what it should for the week, I'm perfectly okay with it. You know, and if they want to work extra one day so they can knock off on Friday to go do something or whatever, I'm good with that, but it's not okay. an expectation. All right. So getting to the extra two minutes for this chapter, you write about how you include information in the folder that are testimonials or reviews from competitors of your prospect. Um, and so you make sure that what is written is specific rather than a generic review. So here's something, an example of something generic uh, that you write in the book. And it's Dave is a great guy. He and his team work hard for us. They are very good at what they do. Instead, you want something to be written like this. Florida Risk Partners is an invaluable member of our team. They took the time to listen and learn about our company. As a result, they were able to create a customized plan to solve the workers' compensation issues we faced. As a result, we have saved over 45% of what we were paying before hiring them. These lower costs have allowed us to offer employee benefit, better benefits. We can also offer more competitive rates to our customers in the marketplace. So obviously that second review is addressing an exact issue that is in the report that you gave to them. Uh, you help them improve their relationship with their employees by offering the better benefits and you allow them to provide better pricing to their customers. What I want to understand is how do you get the client to write a review that specific for you? Do you provide examples to them of what's been written before? Do you help them write it? Or do you just have like English majors as clients who are willing to do that for you? No, Josh, I write it and I just get them to sign it. So, I mean, that's the best way to do it. Okay. And, you know, some, no, actually I do have some clients that have left, given us really, really good recommendation letters that I haven't, but most of the time I want to make sure that it says specific things. And so, and truthfully, if you call your, you'll, you'll find this is very common. If you call a client and say, Hey, would you mind writing me a letter of recommendation? They'll say, why don't you just write it? I'll read it and I'll, I'll just sign it and send it back to you or whatever. Like that's, that's crazy how it's like that, but whatever. Part of me kind of feels bad because I'd really like to hear what they had to say, but you know, it's easier to do it yourself. That's what happy hour is for. Yeah.
Um, so that brings us to the end of a great third episode for the loyal reader. So I want to thank you again for being a guest on explain this book to me. I'm looking forward to our next episode. Um, when we get into the second part of the marketing section and thank you loyal readers for downloading another episode of explain this book to me, where I sit down with authors, thought leaders, and visionaries to explain the book to them and have them answer questions that I have. So remember to be safe. Be healthy and love everyone. This has been Josh Lipstone with Explain This Book to Me.